What we uh, read here is, as I said, for a, a section of a letter uh, known as 2 Corinthians. It was written by the Apostle Paul to a church that he started, a church that he planted in Corinth. And he started this new church, but then he moved on because God wanted him to plant more churches in other areas. And as soon as the Apostle Paul left this church that he planted, these false teachers, they, they swooped in and they were, they were claiming that the Apostle Paul was not a true apostle. And their, their accusation was, Paul is the worst. Paul is weak. His presence is weak. His preaching is weak. He's got this thorn in the flesh, this affliction that he told us about. He can't even heal himself. He's always got problems. It's obvious God is judging him. And Paul's response is this letter known as 2 Corinthians. Now, how would most people respond to those kind of accusations? You're weak. You're pathetic. You're no good. No one should look up to you. How would you respond to those kind of accusations? How would most leaders respond to those kind of accusations? They would say, let me point out where you're wrong and where I'm strong. But the Apostle Paul is totally different, isn't he? He, he does not disagree with them. He says, you're absolutely right. I am weak. And in fact, you don't know the half of it. You have no idea how weak that I am. So let me tell you more about my weaknesses. Is that how most leaders would respond to those kind of accusations? Paul's basic argument is this. My weakness is what proves that I'm actually an apostle. Because anything good that happens through my work, through my ministry, is not a result of me. It is God at work through me. And that's what this passage is about. Verse 7 summarizes this passage. I want you to read it with me. Ready, begin. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. What the Apostle Paul is doing here is he's giving us perspective. He is letting us know that we're weak. He's letting us know that we're fragile. He's letting us know that eventually we will die and decay, but that's God's plan. God set it up this way so it would be absolutely clear that anything good that happens through our work or through our ministry is not a result of us, it is a result of God and his power. We read a long passage, but I want us to focus on two words, this treasure. Let me ask you something. What do people in our world, in our day and age, people that we know, what do people usually treasure? I mean, they might tell you one thing, but as you watch their lives, functionally speaking, what do most people treasure? What do you treasure more than anything else? And you might have some religious stuff that comes to your mind or whatever, but functionally speaking, those who know you, those who observe you, what would they say about you? What you treasure. This is incredibly important 
if, if our lives are going to have any significance at all, it's important for us to think about, functionally speaking, what do we treasure above all else? Paul tells us here about the greatest treasure there is. It's not in a bank. It's not in a vault, a safe. It's not guarded. It's not guarded, and it is yours forever. Do you treasure this treasure? Do you cherish this treasure? Would others who know you say that you do? Now, we're going to ask three questions about this treasure. Why do we need it? What is it? How can we get it and experience it? And so first, if you're following along in the outline, it is, the first question is, why do we need this treasure? The reason that we need this treasure is because basically we are weak, fragile jars of clay. Now, I want you to think about the biggest, strongest, most successful, uh, richest, most influential person that you can think of. People want to be like him. Maybe you want to be like him or her. When we're kids, we think of Iron Man or, or Spider-Man or the Incredible Hulk or whatever. And then, you know, as adults, we would go like, that's ridiculous. They're not even real. But then we get older, we do the same thing. We still have our superheroes. You know, the people that we look to that we want to be like. People, if we could be like them or just learn what they're teaching us, maybe we, maybe we could reflect their life, have the same success they have. Either be successful business or parenting or whatever it is. You know, who are the people, the the authors that you look to, the podcasters, the YouTubers, the conference speakers, whatever self-help guru, who who are your heroes that you want to emulate, that you want to be like, and you cherish their words, their examples, their life? Who comes to, anybody come to mind? Well, here's the thing. Scriptures say, as impressive as they may look, as impressive as they may seem to you or to themselves, they're weak. They're weak. Any strength they have is a facade. And the truth is, we're all weak. And with that weakness comes problems, amen? Paul mentions three problems. Major problems. And he says, this treasure that you have, that is yours, that you cannot lose, enables you to deal with your major problems, enables you to deal with all your problems. Anyone here have no problems at all? Raise your hand. No? None? Anybody here know that they have problems? Raise your hand. Anybody here hate raising your hand? Raise your hand. (laughs) Paul says that the only way to deal with your problems, the only way to deal with your problems is to have this treasure. Nothing else will help you. You need this treasure. We need this treasure, first of all, to deal with our secret problems. In verse 1 and 2, Paul says, we do not lose heart but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. Like in this particular um, uh, case, what he's referring to is using God's word to manipulate people for personal gain. 
one kind of uh, uh, riches or another, either actual money or to make a name for themselves. And the Apostle Paul says it is absolutely disgraceful. And you know what the truth is? is We're all inclined to hide the disgraceful stuff that is in our hearts and in our, our lives, don't we? What is it for you? What is it in your life and in your heart that you're ashamed of? Stand up, we'll get you a mic, you can tell everybody about it. No, we want to hide that stuff, right? Paul says, this treasure enables you to face your shameful temptation and to renounce it. This is exactly what the gospel does. It brings together both weakness and strength. It brings together both authenticity and hope. That is the only only thing that self-help gurus, religious or not, can do is make you appear better than you really are. Jesus blasted the religious leaders of his day when he says, on the outside, you are whitewashed tombs, but on the inside, you are filled with dead man's bones. And he calls us out. He calls them out. And we need to examine our own hearts. We need to ask ourselves, you know, uh, do you think that you're fooling everyone? Maybe you are. Maybe you're even fooling yourself. But in reality, your lives and hearts are filled with secret sin. It's true for all of us. So let's just be honest about it. Can't just be in denial about it. Paul says if you have this treasure, you can be honest about your sin and at the same time be hopeful that God can change you. That is real down-to-earth Christianity right there. That is, that is where the rubber meets the road. You cannot go through the religious motions with that perspective. So let me ask you. I'm not going to make you stand up. I'm not going to pass around the microphone. My question for you, think about your heart. Think about your life right now. What are your secret, shameful sins? What is it for you? Is there something that comes to your mind? Is there, is, is there several somethings that, that come to your mind? Maybe it's envy. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's lustful thoughts. Maybe it's critical spirit. Maybe you're just cynical about everything. Or you're shallow and superficial to, in, an, in an attempt to avoid the problems or people who are problems. Or maybe it's the problem beneath all, all problems, which is self-reliance. Where you functionally, you're seeking to be your own Lord. You're seeking to be your own Savior. Whatever it is, my question for you is can you be honest about it and hopeful that by God's grace, you will change. We need this treasure, and we need the lights to work. <laughs> what in the world is going on? <laughs> Every now and then, these lights get demon-possessed or something, but we'll do our best. Well, we were thinking about incorporating light shows into the sermon, like lasers and fog machines, 
and we only have money to do flick the lights every now and then. <laughs> so what is it? What is it that's going on in your heart and mind? Bring it into the light. You can be honest about it, and you can be hopeful that by God's grace, you can change and you will change. We absolutely need this treasure to deal with our secret problems, but also, secondly, we need this treasure to deal with our obvious problems. The others that, the, the problems that other people can see. Um, I got to meet uh, a, an author that I, that I respect, that I've learned a lot from, uh, on a couple of different occasions, and um, incredibly uh, thoughtful, humble man, a missiologist, and um, at a recent conference, and you know, he does conferences all around the world, and at a recent conference, he did his whole lecture in front of a packed room with his zipper down. <laughs> and he was wearing bright red underwear. <laughs> it was obvious to everybody, except for him. And so he knew he couldn't hide that, and so he wrote about it on Facebook so everybody else could hear about it, you know? He was not insecure. Paul is honest about his obvious problems, and they're much more serious than that. Paul says, we are afflicted in every way. Or your translation might say, we are hard-pressed on every side. Pressure moves in from this way. And so we turn that way to get some relief. But then more pressure moves in from over there. And, and wherever we turn, we are hard-pressed. We are afflicted in every way. And then he says, I am perplexed. In other words, I'm confused. I have no idea why this is happening to me. In verse 9, I am persecuted. It's like someone is always out to get me, and I'm struck down, which means that he is depressed. Paul is absolutely honest about his struggle, but at the same time, we see that he has a very real hope right in the middle of his affliction. Because if you look at all of verse 8 and 9, look what you see. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed. We don't know what's going on, but we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted. Someone's always out to get us, but we're not forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. The Apostle Paul is not in denial about his afflictions. He is authentic about his struggles, his problems, um, his afflictions. He is authentic, and at the same time, he is hopeful. How in the world can he do that? He has this treasure. Life gets dark sometimes, doesn't it? Or it seems hopeless. Maybe intellectually, you know, it'll pass eventually, but... The way you feel is like, man, this is my life. This is not how I imagined it would be. And if you have not gone through a season like that yet, you will. Life in this broken world gets dark. And the Apostle Paul does not sweep that under the rug, and he doesn't get all Debbie Downer about it. He's honest about it. Sometimes life feels like it's just knocked the wind out of you and has knocked you down and then you've been kicked while you're down. 
but even though it's dark, and even though you feel like you're all alone, you can know that you're not all alone. You may not feel like God is with you, but you can know that your feelings have nothing to do with it. The truth is, he is with you whether you feel like he is with you or not. Sometimes it seems like God is nowhere to be found, that he's left you. But you can know that he has not left you and that he will bring you through. So you may be knocked down, but I'm telling you, you will not be destroyed. So let me ask you, what are your obvious problems right now that other people know about, that other people can see? You might be aware of them. You might not be aware of them. But take a minute to think about it. Is it an emotional problem? Is it constant anxiety? Is it depression? Is it anger? Do you have some problems in your, in your relationship? Is it your finances or, or with your physical body? What is it for you? And my next question with that in mind is this. Can you say, I am hard pressed, but I am not crushed? Can you say, I am struck down, but I am not destroyed? See, this is why we need this treasure that Paul's talking about. This treasure enables you, whatever it is, to deal with what you're facing, with both authenticity and hope. Third, we especially need this treasure to deal with our ultimate problem. And Paul looks at death and decay in the face, and he's honest about it. But his hope outweighs his despair. In verse 16, he says, we, we're afflicted in every way, he says, but then we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Outwardly, we may be falling apart, but inwardly, we are being made ready for life as it was really meant to be. You can't avoid death. You cannot avoid decay. It is coming. When you're young, you don't think about it. You think about it a little bit more and a little bit more the older that you get. And here's the deal. If you do not have this treasure, you will live a cynical life with no hope. Or you will live a distracted life in denial with no meaning. It's going to be one or the other. You're either going to be crushed or you're going to be all about escapism. And where's the meaning, the purpose in life? But Paul says, if you do have this treasure... You will be the most down-to-earth, open, honest, authentic person in the world, and at the same time, the most hopeful person in the world. How can Paul make a claim like that? Well, in verse 14, he tells us, He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Let me ask you, have you honestly, authentically faced death, faced your 
your brokenness. Or do you just avoid thinking about it? Do you have a grounded hope? Is, is, your, is your hope grounded in truth or is your hope grounded in wishful thinking? Look, the gospel is down to earth. It meets you right where you are, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, and it gives you, it's the only thing that can give you perspective. It's the only thing that could give you true wisdom that you cannot get from anybody else or anywhere else. This is why you need this treasure. That brings us to our next question. What is it? Well, Paul describes it in three ways. First, he tells us it's a power. In verse 7, Paul calls it the surpassing power. Another translation calls it the all-surpassing power, meaning that it overpowers all other powers of the universe. And so what is that power? The apostle Paul tells us. You know what it is? Verse 6, Paul says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This all-surpassing power is the word of God. It is the same word that spoke creation into existence. It is the same word that makes his light shine in your hearts. It is the same word that makes you a new creation in Christ. And see, to have this treasure, you are totally dependent upon God. So let me tell you something. If if. You haven't picked this up from me yet or not. To have this treasure has nothing to do with you. You can't earn it. It has nothing to do with you gaining this treasure by being smart. You cannot gain this treasure by deserving it through, through being good or or. or are, are, you know, implementing the best practices of, of life. The only way you get it is by God's grace. The Apostle Paul says that apart from God speaking his powerful creative truth into our hearts, we will be hopelessly blinded by darkness. Even if we think that we're an act that convinced ourselves that we're enlightened. You know what this means? This means that if you have this treasure by God's grace, you have nothing to brag about. Right? If you have this treasure by God's grace, it means that you have no excuse for arrogance. If you have this treasure by God's grace, it means that there is no excuse to look down on people who don't believe the same way that you do. Let me say that again. If you have this treasure, it is only by God's grace, and therefore, there is no excuse for you to look down on people who don't believe the same way that you do. The only reason that you have your faith, the only reason that you have your beliefs is because God gave it to you by his grace. It wasn't because you were so smart. So that should affect the way that you treat other people the way that you view other people. Do you catch yourself saying about a, a person 
a particular person or groups of people. What a bunch of idiots. What a bunch of numbskulls. You hear the title for that group of people and you scoff and you roll your eyes. If you have this great treasure by God's grace, there's no excuse for that. It means that you don't understand grace at all. It means that you have self-righteousness and you think that you've earned it, that you're smart, better than everybody else. It is absolute arrogance. There's a common temptation to forget or minimize God's work in us. But we must rely on the promises of God and repent of the darkness of of unbelief. And arrogance is the fruit of unbelief. Self-righteousness is the fruit of unbelief. Critical spirit and looking down on people is the fruit of unbelief. You know, there's a common temptation to think the Bible is just a book of primitive, superstitious fables, like Aesop's fables or, or Grimm's fairy tales. There's no power in that. There's no light. There's no creation. There's no new creation. And we're left in darkness. And Jesus says, if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? You're not enlightened at all. Our only hope is to humble ourselves to ask God to help us hear his creative, powerful word. And when you do, it's proof that God is at work in you. That your faith is real and not just going through the motions. This treasure is a power that will absolutely change your your life like nothing else can. Second, this treasure is a person. Go back to verse 6. Paul uh, says that God gives the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This means that Jesus himself is your treasure. He himself is your treasure. And Jesus, by his spirit, dwells within you. Do you you believe that? Do you feel that? That he dwells within you? Right now? Individually and corporately. This is the only real comfort we have in a broken world. There have been times when I just didn't know how to pray. I mean, things were just too heavy. Have you ever been there? Where things were just too heavy? I could probably parrot something um, if I needed to. um, Pray for dinner, whatever. But I couldn't really pray. And it's horrible. Sometimes it's scary when you're there. And that's why I thank God for Romans 8. The Apostle Paul wrote this as well. And he said, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the minds of the Spirit, the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Sometimes, when life falls apart, and if it hasn't fallen apart for you yet, it will one day, 
We don't have to be in denial about that. When life falls apart, sometimes you're going to feel like all you can do is just groan and you can't string two words together. You ever been there? Can't even pray? But here's what's awesome. The Spirit intercedes for you. He prays for you. Maybe, like me, there are times where you can't even pray. I want you to know, and I need to be reminded myself, you're not alone. Jesus has not left you to be an orphan. He has given you his spirit. And he's promised to never leave you, to never forsake you. He will bring you through to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from you. The third truth Paul gives us about this is this treasure is news. In verse 6, when Paul refers to the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus, he's talking about the gospel. And back then, the gospel was not a religious word like it is today. It, gospel literally means good news. Christianity is based on news. Christianity is based on, on historical facts. Christianity is not just some philosophy. Christianity is not just some code of ethics. Christianity is not just best practices for life to make life work. Christianity is not systematic theology. Christianity is not made, man-made religion so we can feel better about ourselves. Christianity is the news of what God himself has done in time, in history. So what is the good news? The good news is this. That almighty God has entered into our broken world. He showed up in weakness as a jar of clay. And he shared in all of our problems and more. He was conceived out of wedlock. He was poor. In fact, he was homeless. And he said, birds have nests, foxes have holes, but the Son of God has no place to lay his head. Nobody looked up to him. He was not voted most likely to succeed in his class. No one wanted to be like him at all. His brothers rejected him. One of his closest friends betrayed him. And all of his friends deserted him in his time of greatest need. And the night before his death, he was so hard pressed from every side by the dread of the cross that Luke said, being in anguish, his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And on the cross, he not only was persecuted, he was abandoned. And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And heaven was silent. And yet through all of his weakness and through all of his shame and through all of his suffering, he perfectly obeyed and trusted the Father. He was crucified, dead, and buried. But on the third day, God raised him from the dead victorious. And the good news is this, that he did it for you. So at the moment that you realize that in reality you are a weak jar of clay and you put your faith and trust in Jesus, at that moment his death becomes yours. So God forgives you of all your sin. His perfect life becomes yours. So God loves you with the same love that he has for Jesus. And his resurrection becomes yours so that you can know that because God raised Jesus, God will also raise you and bring you into the presence of Jesus. That is good news, yeah? That brings us to our last question. 
How can we get this? How can we experience it? I ask a question like this because there are two groups of people here. First, you might be someone who knows that as of now, you do not have this treasure. Or, or at best, you're, you're not sure if you do or not. And so you need to know how to get it. But the, also, there's a second group here. You, you know that you, you do have this treasure, but you don't always experience it. There are so many times when you're just apathetic. You just kind of shrug your shoulders. Or you're wondering why you're not on fire for God. Which group are you in? How can you get and experience this treasure? It's the same for both groups. It's the same. It's simply by faith in Jesus. Can it be that easy? I'm telling you, it has to be. It has to be by faith alone because we're so weak. There's, there's nothing that you can do but simply rely on Jesus to do it all for you. A person drowning in the middle of the ocean who's gone under for the third time and isn't coming back up on his own doesn't tell the person pulling him out, let me help you. All you can do is rely on your rescuer. Your problem is the problem beneath all your problems. It's self-reliance. I know that because it's true for me too. We keep trying to be our own rescuer. We keep trying to pull ourselves up by our own hand. But faith is simply transferring your trust from yourself to Jesus. Faith is saying, I know that I'm a jar of clay. I know that I'm not as strong as I'd like to think. I know that I'm fragile, going to die, and decay. I know that I can't save myself, but I also know that Jesus can save me. And so I transfer my trust from myself to him. I look to him as my Lord and Savior. That's what faith is. Transferring your trust from yourself to Jesus. Let me tell you something. It's a constant practice. You don't just do it once, and then it's all up to you to, to practice uh, biblical principles so that you become more like, like Jesus. You need the gospel, the power of the gospel, to not just save you, but also to transform you. And then out of love and appreciation and gratitude and relief, you obey God with godly zeal and joy and with praise. Don't think that because it's all of God's grace, then you can do it, at, you know, ever you want. That's cheap grace, and you don't understand grace at all. If you understood grace, you'd be so overwhelmed, you want to be so loyal to Jesus above all else. And you would treasure Jesus above all else. And those around you would know it. One of the best times to treasure Jesus is at the Lord's Supper. It reminds us that we come to God with empty hands and only his sacrifice could save us. And I want to encourage you to spend some time reflecting on that. Praying for truth. 
pray for faith in Jesus and to pray now. Paul says we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. My encouragement to you is to wake up to the reality of your weakness, embrace your weakness, rejoice in God's glory in the face of Jesus. Amen? Would you bow your heads, please?